the Trex Brixton Glorious Live Tour 2023 is concluding oh my. in Columbus, Ohio, December 1st through the 3rd. And what great guests will be joining us at GalaxyCon? The well, circle closes. The f- what? The circle He's, closes. The circle closes. Okay. We started the, uh, in Columbus last year. Okay, we and now Columbus. we're back. And uh, <laughs> The Flash, Grant Gustin will be there. Daredevil Charlie Cox, Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman, Jonathan Frakes' buddy, Mike Tyson, the great <laughs> Bill Shatner. Lost. Will Shatner fight Tyson? That's the question everybody's asking. Oh, that's the question. And who would I'd like win? to see that. That would be the ultimate fight club. Wow. Forget that the cabaret. That's what they should do at midnight. They should do uh, Tyson versus Shatner. Wow. That'd be like Muhammad Ali versus Superman, wouldn't it? The flying yeah. kick alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's an illegal move. Communities, Joel McHale will be there. Breaking Bad, Gene Carlo Esposito. Sean Gunn joining, uh, joining the festivities. Will he Data be eating a himself. stick of butter? Maybe he will. That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. That's a specials <laughs> reference. My God, even I didn't get that at first. Oh, my. Um, Terry Farrell and the Not Visitor will be there. Terry, Terry Metalis, Todd Stashwick, so many friends of the podcast will people be joining. People named Terry, people named Todd. <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall, Jeff Combs. You just heard him on the podcast recently. And you'll He'll hear be him there again. as That's well. And, uh, and so many other great guests. Um, so you don't want to miss this uh, fantastic GalaxyCon Columbus. Fantastic. Coming to it's Ohio totally December 1st through 3rd. Discover the magic of GalaxyCon in Columbus, Ohio, this December, and we'll see you there. Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Treks, Prince in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at TrexPrisPlus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. By your command, here's a sneak peek. We're going to ask you while people are lining up to ask questions. <laughs> I remember as, as, a, as, a, as a, a kid seeing you pop out in um, The Graduate and thinking, oh my God, that's Richard Dreyfus, because of course... I'd seen so many of your amazing films already. Um, and that led to a very interesting relationship with Mike Nichols for you. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, because it's remarkable how you ended up in that film. Well, um, um, everyone of my age bracket in the country wanted a shot at that part. And I knew I was too young, but I wanted to make it to Nichols. And so I did. I, I got past this casting director and that casting director. And finally, I was supposed to see Nichols on the next day. And I was told the night before that he had to fly to New York to meet an actor named Dustin Hoffman. And I could feel the wind of inevitability <laughs> go right up the back of my neck. And I knew. Dustin Hoffman was going to get that part. But Nichols, being the graceful guy that he is, he took everyone who auditioned for that part and gave him a small part in the film. So he didn't have to do that. And I got offered 
this one part. And I came in to meet him and he said, have you prepared? And I said, I've been studying with Stella for hours and hours. And he said, are you ready? I said, yes. And I said, shall I call the cops? I'll call the cops. He said, you got it. <laughs> and that's how I got into that film. And then I did um, uh, Carrie, Carrie's. Wait, you did Postcards from the Postcards. Edge with Mike. But my favorite story is you met with Mike. There's that old axiom. An actor's job is to say their lines and not bump into the furniture, which you've never agreed with. And so you, you go to Mike Nichols to be in Bogart Slept Here. And he wants to cast you after they fire Robert De Niro. And you're like, this is a terrible role. Let me tell you how to fix it. And that leads to the goodbye girl. And none of that is true. Really? It's all apocryphal. That's complete horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was, I get a call from a friend of mine who says, did you hear that they fired Bobby De Niro? And I said, bullshit, no one's going to fire Bobby De Niro. <laughs> and then they said, oh no, it was, uh, he got fired this morning and you're replacing him. And you're making, and they told me how much I was going to make and when we were going to start. And I said, you've lost your fucking mind. <laughs> and so I called the producer of the film, which at that time was called Bogart Slept Here. And I said to Ray Stark, do you want to talk to me for any reason? And he said, no, and hung up. <laughs> And that was that. And then about six weeks later, I was at Warner Brothers, and Ray Stark walked up to me and said, we're going to do a reading of Bogart, and we want you to do it with us. And I was just about to say no, because I'm an idiot. And I said, and I was literally going to go, when Neil Simon and Marsha Mason came up to us and went, oh yeah, we want you to do the reading. Neil Simon and Marsha Mason wanted me to do the reading. I went, Richard, shut up. <laughs> just do what they tell you to do. And I did. I just did the reading. So subscribe today at TrexpressPlus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the Rockets. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And have we got a show for you today? Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm it's so ready. Just, it's to Sir Patrick with love. Outer space. The last frontier. These are the trips of the Star Trek Enterprise. Its five-year plan calls for us to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, 
to boldly fly where no man has gone in space. Live long and be happy. And, uh, and, 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 and shooting the Cupid's arrow is none other than returning guest and uh, champion Dave Rossi, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Always good to see yeah. you guys. How you been? Uh, it's good. Uh, you know, I mean, another talk track reunion. Over. It, talk right. Track. Oh, that's right. You had him on talk track many, many a time. Well, we didn't have him. He was uh, he was a regular. Yeah, he was a regular. I started as a guest, but then yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, yeah, yeah. you did it every week. You went. You, you slept up week. to the valley, man. Somewhere. You didn't much of a life, did you? That <laughs> was on the ass. Zoom? That was the ass end of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I well, had a convertible back then, so peace it was and okay, quiet but... appealed to us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember whenever Darren would say, "Come to the show," I'd be like, "Oh, great!" And then I'd remember where it was. <laughs> Look, that was a great ninety-nine cent store. <laughs> it sure was. Right past, what was it, Latuna Canyon Road? Yeah, yeah. The convention Crazy. on the air. Oh, my God. Crazy. I mean, time. this is all this is. That's all this show is. Yeah. Is Talk yeah. Trek, you know? I mean, because we talk Trek incessantly for five freaking years we've been doing this. Right. The incessant uh, Trexperts. Yeah. Yeah, the incessant <laughs> Trexperts. That's right. That's right. Dave, I don't know why we've been doing this for five years. You think we'd be done with this Fakakta show by now? Even Captain it. Kirk was done after five years. I, I know. He knew when to call it quits. That's right. He, he knew when to take the promotion, settle down. We, we're still doing it. You're not kidding anyone, Alton. You love it. You love your it. your first best destiny. Oh, my goodness. I loved it. Past tense. <laughs> no, I, I, I made the, 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 the decision to come back for another season, and I don't regret it. Because I get to spend time with people like you who I wouldn't see otherwise. So that's it's right. Big, Absolutely. It's like old yeah. movie. I think the last time I saw you was uh for uh <laughs> at a Brazilian steakhouse for Darren's birthday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we were younger men. That was so young, yeah, 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 younger and lower <laughs> blood pressure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Wow. But uh but we we wanted to talk about uh, this uh, this uh, Mr. Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart. Someone who makes us out. all feel young yeah, by comparison. Yes. Yeah, I know. I mean, he was, you know, cast as Captain Picard in his mid-40s. Yeah. Uh, so in um, Making making It So, a memoir, this is a new autobiography, at least that's what they're saying. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, from Gallery Books came out a few weeks ago, uh, both in hardcover, digital, and uh Fantastic audio version, which I understand is the version that Darren and Dave both listened to it. Yes. What was your uh, what's your first uh, thoughts when you listened to the book? I uh, I was frankly unprepared. I didn't know anything about his his early life. Mm. Um, you know, I, I knew that his father was kind of a tough guy, and I you know, but but hearing his stories, I was. Uh, I was surprised that, uh, um, uh, you know, that the place he lived was, was just this two bedroom place with he and his brother and in his, you know, he was destined for Star Trek because one of the, 
one of the lines he mentions is that his father used to come home and he'd hear him outside. And depending on what he was singing, it was either going to be, you know, because he was drunk, it was going to be good or it was going to be bad. And it was good if he was singing, I'll take you home again, Eileen. Wow. <laughs> yeah. you, 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 know what this, Riley? you know what this struck me as? This struck me as one of those mediocre standalone episodes of Ted Lasso. It was like, you know, <laughs> like when you go home with one of the players and he has the abusive father and it, it's kind of like, oh, but then Ted comes and makes everything better. So instead, oh it was, it was, Gene Roddenberry was Ted Lasso. Believe, right? <laughs> believe. There are yeah. those who believe. Yeah. But, you know, uh, but, I mean, but yeah, it's, you know, he grew up in poverty and, and I, I hadn't known a lot of that. So, uh, so that was really interesting to uh, to learn about him, um, and I think he's you know he's pretty forthright about stuff. Look, he he had some affairs. He, uh, you know, and he he comes out. He calls it out for sure. For sure, um, it's uh, he's had an interesting life, man. He's got some great stories. Yeah. No, I, I look. I think it, it's interesting because I remember when Nick Meyer Nick Meyer wrote a terrific book about his life called A View from the Bridge. And I remember him complaining. He said, the book was longer, but they really wanted me to focus on Star Trek. And so they cut a little bit, he, you know, and um, uh, even, the, even the title had to be a pun to deal with Star Trek, right? Because people weren't going to be reading it for um, company business. Or right. <laughs> even time after time. <laughs> they wanted to read about Star Trek 2, 4, and 6. So I, I get that. I get that. It, it's interesting. I felt that Patrick might have had a little more leeway because... The Star Trek stuff is not particularly uh, extensive, no, which is fine. Depth. Yeah, or in depth. Yeah, I know. Right. You have to read other books for that. Yeah, other books. Fifty-year mission. <laughs> in fact, I was actually surprised that there really wasn't much I didn't know in the Star oh, yeah. Trek section. Uh, that it was all stories that had either been, uh, you know, trodden out to conventions or that have appeared in other books or interviews. I, I thought there would be a little more juice on the bones. And it, it's kind of funny because you see like Hollywood Reporter Variety and a lot of a lot of um, these places are like uh, printing excerpts, you know, with this breathless introductions. Would you, could you believe that Patrick Stewart auditioned with a hairpiece? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we could because we've heard that story 900 times. <laughs> Yeah, and to, you know, and to to devote time to you know, he talks about some of the guest stars that came on. He mentions Whoopi Goldberg, and then goes into the story about how you know uh, Whoopi's uh, a connection with Star Trek, and it's like, what these these are all things that that everybody's heard. Now maybe he's thinking that you know the X Men group doesn't, right. you know, the X Men fans reading it don't don't know that story, but. Right. You know, uh, Dave, when Whoopi was a young girl, she would watch Star Trek and uh, and notice uh, uh, Lieutenant Uhura and say, look, there's a black woman on TV and she ain't no maid. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because these books, you know, these, 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 these books always, I think, try, they're almost legacy books, you know? Yeah, uh, because most of them only write one biography. You know, Shatner's written like eight, but uh, most of them you write one, and it's almost like they're trying to polish the story, you know, for posterity. 
Right. I mean, that's why the first time you ever heard the Martin Luther King story was in this Nichelle's autobiography. So whether that was apocryphal or not, that is now the story, right? right that's the right. story that we all know and gets quoted over and over, right? So I, I, I feel like Patrick was doing a little bit of that as well. You know, sort of, this is what I leave print for posterity. Print, print the legend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah um, right. Ashley, you haven't worked with Patrick, but you did work with James McAvoy, um, who was capturing um, the spirit Patrick of adjacent. Patrick. You were yes. Patrick adjacent. One degree of Patrick. So, um, you know, when you were writing X-Men First Class, were you thinking about Patrick at all, or were you just thinking about this character of Charles Xavier? I mean, you, you can't really separate the character in the context of the films from Sir Patrick and what he did uh, in the in the movies that preceded First Class. I mean, the the problem with the, the early draft that we came in and, and we rewrote was that it was literally just that character. Like, you could hear Patrick Stewart saying all of those lines and being that person. And it was, imagine... You know, Professor Xavier with hair, with that, which I guess means Patrick Stewart with a hairpiece auditioning for Star Trek. Right. And that was completely wrong. Um, so we did think about uh, what Patrick Stewart did and how he played that character. But to us, it was an endpoint that we needed mm. to, to create a character who started in a different place. And the target was Patrick Stewart. Mm. Um, so it, it was, it was more, um, it was more of a goal, uh, than it was something that we began with. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. And it's interesting because you really thought that in the same way that Shatner was able to reinvent himself with TJ Hooker and Boston legal and, you know, over and over again, I never thought that Patrick would have another iconic role after, um, Picard, but yeah. clearly Professor X is very much, you know, as well known, if not better known than Picard. Oh, no question. And if you look at what he did, I mean, I put it this way. I, I think certainly um, the X-Men features have largely been better to him uh, than the Star Trek features have been. Um, and, you know, some of his, his best work and in, in something that I, I think is uh you know, sort of the more more popular culture is is probably in Logan. Um, you know, right. that may be you know the kind of the the, the zenith. He's of, sensational uh, of, in that. Yeah, he really so, is. That's a great performance. And, and you're right. I think that you know, look for uh, for you know everything that Star Trek has gone through, and then bringing J.J. Abrams in to expand it and bring in new people. It's it's never it's never expanded very far. Whereas the movies based on comic books are now, you know, I mean, they're blockbusters, right? They're just, you know, people go and see them all the time. So, um, so there's, I think a a wider group of people who know Patrick for that. Right. Yeah. Plus I also think as much as, as next generation has been super successful and, uh, you know, has been a huge hit. Uh, and, and the most mainstream of the recent Star, not really recent, but of the, the, the subsequent Star Trek incarnations. If you ask, like my mother or someone who's not a Star Trek fan, they know Kirk Spock. They know Kirk and Spock still, right? The average person has heard of Kirk and Spock. I'm not as sure 
that people who are not know nothing about Star Trek have any idea what a Picard is. Still, after all these years. But do you they know? know what a Picard maneuver is? No, I don't no. think they, and they do. don't even know the Riker maneuver. And I think that's why, you know, <laughs> JJ, you know, it was very cagey as much as we may have our issues with it to, to reboot, to reboot or reimagine or whatever the hell that is. Um, you know, Kirk, Spock and McCoy, right. because those are still the characters that are, are living legends, you know, legendary characters yeah. like Sherlock Holmes. I don't know, Patrick, I don't know if Picard is, and that's not a slight on next gen because we all love next gen. Um, but, uh, you know, just in terms of its place in the popular culture, the popular myths, um, you know, a hundred years from now, you know, is, is Star Trek going to be remembered in any way? I don't know. But if it is, my guess, it's still going to be Kirk and Spock that people know, know the way people talk about, you know, well, Sherlock Holmes now or. You know, characters from. Well, you know, I I, I think that also depends on where you ask. I don't think that uh, I don't think that the depth of uh, love exists in this country, but certainly in England and Germany, uh, the depth of love for Next Generation is expansive. I'm not and saying it's not a deep abiding love for Next Gen. You're saying here um, outside of the fandom. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Right. That and you know the you know like the original. Troika kind of occupies the, the space. They're the they're the the general um you know they're the general representation of Star right. Trek. When you think of it, that's the first thing your brain goes to. And so I, I think you're But I think Mark there's a right. lot of people who don't know the character names that think of Star Trek as, oh, with that bald captain. Yeah, I don't think so though. And the, what by the, they mean by that I mean, is Shatner, but like he's not <laughs> now really now. Oh. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. <laughs> but that's also we we something that that's also something that I think the JJ movies did is that right mm. it, it is cemented Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in people's minds because mm -hmm. now you're he did introduce it to people who were not necessarily Star Trek fans. They went and saw it because it was a sci-fi blockbuster. Like I gotta say, and I don't want this to sound like I'm I'm ragging on Patrick because I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. But you know, if you're gonna put yourself a book out there, and it's particular, I'm particularly critical given having written on a similar subject, I was really anxious to get to see what he said about insurrection and nemesis. Right. Very interested because he was such a major part of the creative genesis of those projects. He was such a huge part of those movies not working, right? Uh, in insurrection, he was very involved in what that story would be and what it wouldn't be. I mean, Mike Pillar wrote a whole book about it, right? And then on nemesis, him and Brent, basically we're at the very heart of bringing John Logan on and defining what that that picture would be about. And he dismisses them in two lines. Yeah. As saying, after first contact, we did two pictures. They weren't particularly good. Right. And, and, you know, and then yeah. says, he, he, he focuses on Tom Hardy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And says he, he thought Tom Hardy was distant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wasn't a very good actor. So it was so interesting because, of course, you know, that's something else that he talks about, which is, again, a story I think anyone who is interested in Star Trek has heard many times, which is when I was, I was such an ass when I was first uh, on Star Trek. I was very right. serious. I didn't want to have fun. The, ca the cast and crew were having too much fun. And I pushed back on that. And they had to have an intervention and tell me this is television. You got to have some fun. And then I realized how to loosen up 
and and, and be the fun and avuncular guy that I am now. So well, funny, <laughs> in telling that story, he tells a, pre, a story about earlier in his career when he's at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and, and he and Ben Kingsley were cut-ups. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking, what, what? What, did, what did that mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> what was them as cut-ups that somebody else complained? You know, it was like, uh, I, I, you know, Patrick and Ben are chuckling. We would, that's, <laughs> we, would, we would take towels from wardrobe and wrap them around ourselves as little skirts, and we would dance around the stage. It was wonderful. But that, that's such a great point you make, and he at no point acknowledges the irony later right. of the fact, the fact that they were the cut-ups you know, on uh, and and now he was the the stiff, the guy with the stick up his ass later on, who was telling people not to have fun. I mean, and, and it we seemed like such an obvious like what changed, right? Yeah. You know, right. and and he never acknowledges that. It's almost like he didn't read that part of the book. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's very odd. I you know, and my you know by the time I came on to Next Gen. They were. I was in the. I came on in the fifth season, so they were right. way well established, and mm. they could have been monsters. The cast, and they weren't. They were. I mean, you know, certainly they they knew what they had, and they they knew their gravitas within the studio system and everything. But um, super kind. I mean, the year before I started is good Patrick story. The year before I started, I was a uh, tour guide, and they would rent us out to different locations on the lot. And they came to me one day and said, listen, we know you're a Star Trek nerd. Patrick Stewart is running a Shakespeare workshop out of the uh, Crosby scoring stage, and he needs somebody to check actors in for three days. So you're just going to go there. Don't lose your mind because it's Captain Picard. Don't make a fool out of yourself. All you have to do is <laughs> yeah. when people show up, write their name down and, and whatever. So for three days, I sat out there. People, I mean, a lot of actors came in. Um, and that's where I first met Andy Robinson. And he, right. was, uh, he came in to do it. But afterwards, when that, that three days was done, Patrick came out and thanked me. And I said, listen, I, I'm sure you have a, a gaggle of assistants, but... But I'd love to give you my resume, and if you ever needed any help and assist in anything, I, I'd love to have my name in the hat. And he thanked me very much. And then a year later, I'm on the show, and I went to the uh, uh, licensing department and got a poster of the Enterprise, and I took it down to the set, and I had everyone sign it, cast and crew, from the stage. And Patrick wrote, so we finally got to work together after all. Aw, that's, nice. Aww. You that's know, classy. Three days, me standing there in a polyester mm -hmm. page uniform, and he remembered, and it was a very kind thing to say, and, and he was always great. He's just a, they were all lovely people. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I think that is super classy. And A, the fact that he remembered you, but B, that he wrote that, what he did, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. It's really great yeah. to hear. Yeah, because not everyone would, would do or say something like that, as we know. That is um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, and I have to say, I mean, Dave is talking about how he volunteered, at, you know, and, and wasn't getting paid a lot because he put in his dues and he look volunteered. at you know, but but um, <laughs> that's arrogant. That's, that's something else that comes out of this book, 
which is really important to acknowledge. And this is a story, again, that's been told, but it's worth remembering. The way he got cast yes. was he, I mean, he got paid $100 a week or whatever, but he, he basically volunteered to help out a friend yeah. by doing their Shakespeare workshop at UCLA, right? He was crashing on the guy's couch. Yep. And that it was at that nothing thing, you know, that was just like helping out a friend that Bob Justman saw him and said, I really think this guy has something. Right. Whatever and it is. And fought with Roddenberry to get yeah. And And later, Rick also jumped on that bandwagon right. as well. But none of it would have happened if Bob Justman hadn't seen Patrick at this event. He wouldn't yep. even be on their radar. And it just goes to show it's so smart, you know, for these people starting in their careers. And admittedly, he was already in his 40s, but you know, not say how much am I getting paid or, you know, or why, you know, what are you going to send me first class or whatever, you know, do the work because you never know where it is that you're going to get noticed, right. where it is you're going to get discovered. That's I right. mean, and whether it's Patrick Stewart or something, and look what that led to. That moment gave him a career. It gave him, it made him a multimillionaire. Um, it gave him the chance to do all the kind of theater that he hoped to do in his life, you know, to do his one man play. Um, and uh, and to ruin the Star Trek movie franchise, all because of that. <laughs> so, um, but it, 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 it kept him from doing Life Force Two, which is unfortunate. That's true. well, you know, it, it's funny you you say that, you say that, but um, I was really excited about reading what he was going to say about <laughs> Life Force, and unfortunately, he he says the same shtick that he said every time I've ever seen it mentioned. Because I think he's never seen it. He doesn't remember it. Yeah. He says, oh, I got the, you know, my first on-screen kiss. Unfortunately, it was Steve Railsback. Right. You know, he literally <laughs> devotes a paragraph in the book to um, to it. And I was disappointed because I would have really liked to have heard more. And he, yeah. there's nothing on Excalibur. Yeah. Right? Just weirdly I'm weird. Surprised. He completely... Um, doesn't talk about that at all, which is a, a fairly, you know, even more substantial role with a, a major director, John Borman. Right. Which, so, but the Dune stuff is great. It is great. When you really have drawn my blood. If you'd have fought one whit below your abilities, I'd have given you a good scar to remind you. Things have been so serious here lately. Soon we leave for Arrakis. Arrakis is real. The Harkonnens are real. Although it's interesting because he he says, oh, I replaced an actor. The story is a lot more interesting than that. And I think it's chronicled in a masterpiece in, in Disarray about the 84 Dune. You know who the actor was that he replaced? Uh, it was a, a bigger guy. It was, uh, yeah. who, who was Al it? Aldo Ray. Oh, geez. Aldo Ray, who was this, le you know, obviously legendary actor, yeah. legendary drunk. Right. who basically couldn't perform because he was so drunk. So they had to cast, pa you know, the Gurney Halleck really quickly, and they cast Patrick. But tell us the story about Patrick and Dune, because it's such a, a funny story, but it, it, it also, you know, you hear how Patrick was affected by this and how nervous he was. This is early in his career, and he wasn't getting the feedback he wanted and why that was. Well, apparently, Rafaela de Laurentiis and... Uh, and uh, uh, David Lynch had seen Patrick in a production in England, I believe. And this was uh, like a year before they were casting or getting deep into casting. Um, 
and uh, and David, uh, I think, met him uh, backstage, and he was he was all you know, sort of dressed as a as a wild man, basically. He had long hair, scruffy uh, scruffy beard, and he was uh, you know for his like stage- in the episode Genesis. Yes, like in the episode Genesis, <laughs> um, and uh, and it was at uh, it was from that that when they were recasting Gurney, he said, uh, "Who? What's the name of that actor that uh, that we saw back in England? Uh, you know, the 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 wild man. I maybe we maybe he could uh, he could be good." And so they called Patrick Stewart out of the blue and cast him uh, sight unseen. And wow. when when Patrick came came to uh, uh, Cherubusco to uh, report to the set, he looked completely different, and and Lynch didn't recognize him at all. He thought that they had made a big mistake and that this was a different person entirely, and so he didn't talk to him during the entire production of the film. Uh, he had he had other people uh, give the directions to him, etc., and it was only. Uh, you know, uh, toward the end of this that Raffaella took, uh, Patrick to dinner and said, you know, I think I know what the problem is between you and David because he was expecting someone else because you were all made up and, and dressed so differently for that role that we saw you in. And, uh, after that things, uh, settled down a bit and, uh, and Patrick understood what was going on. But it's, it's fascinating that, that Lynch was so, uh, sort of non-confrontational in this situation that uh, he basically let Patrick sweat every day that he thought he was going to be uh, canned at any moment. He must yeah, have felt like he was in a David Lynch movie. Right. So weird. <laughs> and that first uh, that first encounter that he describes is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Where Lynch just doesn't say anything. He basically ignores him as he's, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm reporting. Uh, uh, I'm very excited to be here. And then, and then the other the other actors start showing up to this meeting, and they embrace him, uh, you know, wholeheartedly. Yeah, Max they, Van Sydow comes yeah, in, right. and, and and shatters the tension. Then Kyle comes in, who yeah. Patrick became very close with, apparently. Yes. yes. And Patrick, I guess. Kyle knew him from Royal Shakespeare Company. Right. He knew of him. And so he they, they were all like genuflecting to him. And David's like, who is this? Right. Who is this guy? Yeah. I don't I don't recognize this actor. Where's the hair? Yeah. Where's I, the hair? I want I ordered hair. <laughs> Even there, he talks about um when I auditioned, it was between me and one other actor. I don't know who to this day who that actor was. Uh-huh. Well, everyone else does. Yeah. It's like, it's not that hard to find oh, out. Yeah, right. Audition for Next Gen. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, Stephen yeah. Mocked. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, which incidentally you know. is a Klingon word. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But my, Stephen Mocked had too much hair. That was, that was the problem. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. The one thing that did come across, it was interesting because he did say that he was not fond of Gene, which I never right. heard him say before. Right. You know, that he, it's all they all get the last word on Gene now, though. I have to say, you know, it's like now that Gene's gone and can't defend himself. Now it's fashionable to bang oh, on yeah. Gene. Well, it's been like that for 30 years. Well, yeah. he's, you know, look, he 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 sets it up that. That Gene had a problem with him. Yes, it, yes. I mean, it, it, it's that look. He was never, 
Uh, and and he's, you know, he, he kind of comes around later in the book and, and says, you know, there's a uh, look, he understands that he was not the choice. Patrick was not the choice that that Gene wanted. And so right. there was this, you know, but but I, I, I just I. I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm genuflecting. I, I I I find it hard to believe that that Gene treated him that coldly because he the 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 stories of their interactions. I mean, it's very very the way Patrick says it. It's very abrupt. Right. Well, a couple of things that that I I and part of it is reading between the lines. The first thing he said, and remember, this guy comes from poverty, who didn't have money, who's flying. His first time flying first class was when they were bringing him out uh, to Dune, you know, in 80, 83. Um, and he was so excited to be flying first class, he couldn't believe it. Um, but then the first thing he says about Gene is, when I went to his house, he had ugly green carpet. Right. Now, you got, you got to remember, putting it in context, that this was, Gene was out in the wilderness, you know, at this point, this was still the wilderness years. Yeah, he had the movies. And he was paying, being paid as a consultant, but uh, on 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 Star Trek two, three, and four. But um, you know, he hadn't gotten a TV show going, and he all you know, and this was just right because where he ended up making his his fu money was on Next Gen, right. right? And so he hadn't yet made this crazy amount of money. So I think the fact that he's making fun of his Bel Air mansion because of an ugly green carpet. Where he murdered all the Vulcans. I, I didn't find it in <laughs> I didn't find it endearing. Um but I do understand why he was put off because the next story he tells is um how he asked for clarity on the character. Mm-hmm. And Gene tells him, read the Horatio Hornblower books, and that will right. tell you everything you need to know, which is interesting <laughs> because of course. Where Hornblower is applicable to Captain Kirk, I'm not sure. Not at all. (laughs) In no way, shape, or form is it applicable to the next generation. I think he was just reading Nick Meyer's press or something. That's exactly what he was uh, reading because uh, uh, Roddenberry really never mentioned the the books uh, on TOS. the, it, it was uh, sort of, uh, if ever mentioned, it was sort of a, a secondary thought. And, he thought Hornblower uh, meant something totally different. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, ju- just because that green carpet was a sentient being that lived in his uh, house, uh, that's a different thing. <laughs> it was a horny partner. That's where he got the idea for the horny. But this is no kill eye, my uh, carpet. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a truth that Gene was sort of uncomfortable with, first of all, the age. And second of all, the the silly thing that he was bald. You know, he he he. I think he had a feeling that, well, you know, in the twenty fourth century, we're going to solve all of those problems, and uh, no, pain, no no one will go through that. Uh, but I think it also, you know, might have been uh, from the perception of Patrick Stewart because Gene was very effusive and loving to the other cast members openly. Uh, specifically to uh, Frakes and uh, and to uh, 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 you know Mr. Worf. Uh, I mean, they, they, he he was he was very uh, expressive with them, and I think Gene might have been a little bit off put by Patrick's uh, history and his uh, training and all that. Intimidated. Because, yeah, absolutely. I think there might have been a little bit of that involved. 
I'll take it one step further. I think because, you know, Roddenberry always saw these characters in a way as his doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. Like he saw himself in Kirk. Right. And I think he saw himself in Riker. Yeah. I think he didn't see himself in this old, balding guy who he didn't yeah. consider particularly Or he sexy. feared to see himself in it. Mm-hmm. Can we not call a dude in his mid-40s old? Can we no. just agree? <laughs> Agreed. How, how old are you, uh, Ashley? 52. <laughs> I know, I'm the baby. Just, uh, let's just move on from this conversation <laughs> about <Yeah>. age. <laughs> Um, but uh, age, age is just a number, a very high number Dave, in our case. Dave, in, in your many years at, in working at Star, did you notice it, uh, much of a change in Patrick at all, or or the things about this book that brought back some memories for you, or good or bad? Well, I, you know, when he when he talks about things like Leonard Nimoy showing up and. You know, certainly I'm brought back to that, to those moments. It was really, you know, that was obviously a high point. Of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, as we got close to the end of of the run of the show, you could tell um, he was a little tired, I think, right? You know, of of doing the role and, and you know, I'm not saying he was dashing for the door or anything, but, he, but, but, yeah, there was a there was a difference, and and uh, and again, I was only there for three seasons, so um, you know, I, I don't know what it was like at the beginning. I think it would have been really fun to have been there from the beginning, and and right. well, the and, beginning was a very delicate time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I see it, what you did there. Yeah, but <laughs> um, no, that. But you were also there for for the movies as well. Um, and it's interesting to just, you know, a lot of the cast, you know, obviously, if you listen to Marina Kovech, you know, oh, the show would have gone 15 seasons if Patrick hadn't wanted to leave after, you know, the seventh season. He didn't want to stay for the seventh, as we know. He His contract was for six, and he was kind of done, you know, then. And then he stayed, um, you know, for one more season. But there was no keeping him down on the farm after that. Yeah, and and he mentions that in the book. I mean, he uh, he he mentions that uh, you know he kind of cut everybody's legs out because he he didn't want to stay. So, right. um, you know, and then the movies came along. I mean, it's uh, I I don't know what the I don't frankly I don't remember a lot about the first movie, but when first contact came along. Um, I think they were all a lot more energized and a lot more, you know, involved and, and, you know, really wanted to do something special. And, and I mean, the script was really fun and, uh, and well, well, I was just going to say, Dave, I remember actually then better than you maybe because they were miserable, not miserable, but when all good things was going in the generations, they had a week off and they were all fried because they'd been doing all this press and, you know, they were going right into the movie. There was no like downtime. The difference with First Contact was they had been down for a year or two. So they right. were finally coming back to it. And it was Jonathan. Right. You right. know, and I think they felt they had something to prove because I think whether they admitted it or not at the time, no one was particularly over the moon about 
generations, the way generations turned out. Yeah, I mean, it was just, yeah, and, and that was such a busy time. I mean, turning those sets over to be movie sets and handing them over from, you know, you had Marvin Rush, who was the DP, and he was handing it over to, uh, uh, I, can, I can't remember the DP's name, Alonzo? John Alonzo. John Alonzo. And, you know, we were uh, into deep space nine and there was already talk about voyager happening and right. it was just a crazy time so yeah. uh yeah my my memories of that are a little hazy but i i know right. when first contact came along and you know it's uh patrick has a great action sequence in that movie at the end and you know i i think i think he and i think he enjoyed that and enjoyed coming back as picard for that but but towards the end of the series i think he was ready to go yeah yeah now, I remember when I was back there for all good things, everybody said, just be careful around Patrick. He's really cranky. And the reason for that, and that's not to throw him under the bus, he had done his Scrooge tour the previous right. summer. So he'd had no hiatus. He went right into a 26-episode season. He directed the penultimate episode, which he's also heavily in, Preemptive Strike, which he directed. So, I mean, he had a prep, he had a shoot. And then he goes into the finale where he's playing himself in three different right. time zones with heavy prosthetics. Right. I am completely sympathetic to him being a prima donna under those conditions. Oh, yeah. Totally no, and, get it. And not only that, but the amount of visitors um, mm -hmm. to the set during that time must have been frustrating as hell. Yeah. Because it was there, there were just it was a revolving door of you know people wanting to get that last look and yeah. press and I mean, it was cra it was crazy time, so yeah yeah I I, I don't blame him at all. And uh, you and were he, hanging around the set every other day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> offering to help. <laughs> Let me help. What do you Keeler say? Um, <laughs> so I got to ask you guys because we 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 quickly. I talked about this, how Patrick wanted to leave after season seven. A lot of the other cast would have preferred to keep the season TV six. show going. See, right. But he, how he ended up saying seven was it. He right. was not going to stay any longer. A lot of the other cast would have liked to have seen the show continue like MASH ad nauseum. Right. Right. Um, what do you think? Could the show have gone on without Patrick and how would you have done it? I'll start yes. with you, Darren. Okay. I'll start with you, Ashley. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, look, man, I mean, you guys know, I mean, this is not a mystery. Uh, a, like, there's a guy named Jellicoe who's out there. B, there's a, uh, there's a Commander Shelby out there. Although I think by now she's probably a captain kind of all on her own. But I certainly think that show could have gone on um, without Patrick Stewart. I, I think that uh, there are plenty of examples of the show working without Patrick sitting in the center chair. And I think the great thing about The Next Generation that made it different from the original series was that it was not... As great as the original Troika was, that show is dependent on the Troika. Next Generation being a true ensemble and not like an ensemble that like the actors like kind of claim that it's an ensemble, but it never was, but it actually is an ensemble that I think that show could have survived. And I think that the change would have been good for it and possibly uh, refreshed the show and rejuvenated the show. Mm. You agree with that, Dave? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that uh, I think it would have been hard. I think that it, you know, uh, Picard is a fantastic character, and people really latched on to him. So I, I think you would have it would have been an uphill battle at at the start, but 
depending, you know, and, and who would you have brought in? Because at that point, if, if next gen was going to keep going, would there have been a Voyager? Would there have been a Deep Space Nine? I, I you know, I, depending on what the plan was, I, I don't know. And I mean, it would have been interesting. What if you brought in, you know, Avery Brooks as the captain of the Enterprise? I mean, uh, it, it could have been, a, you know, it could have gone anywhere. So, yeah, I think you, you it totally could have worked. I just think it would have been hard up front. Mm-hmm. I think I think I think a, a way they they might have gone is just you know promote Riker to be mm-hmm. the captain of the ship and bring in a younger crew member to be basically his replacement you know someone to sort of butt heads against him uh, to you know create some uh, interest there but uh, yeah I think it could have uh, gone on for at least a couple more years uh, with that kind of thing, maybe even a, a an open story where Picard is missing, perhaps taken again by the Borg. Who knows? Uh, but it, you know, it it could uh, leave it open for him, sort of guest starring again for an episode uh, down the line. But uh, yeah, I th- I think it could absolutely have worked, and people would have liked it because people were, you know, clamoring for you know something to happen after that, whether it was Riker and. Uh, and Deanna on their own ship or, you know, whatever. But I think that the, the, the love that goes through the roster on that show was pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah and I think that, uh, I think that, you know, if you put Riker in charge, you get more of a, you get more of a TOS feel for it. Not, not, not that it would have been written right. that way, right. but, but, you know, Jonathan's performance, he's, he's yeah. a little more cowboy, you know, he's yeah. a little more shoot from the hip. A little so, more, a little more dashing and adventurous. A little more country, a little more rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, whatever problems I have, I got in credit for this paragraph. For the purposes of this book, I rewatched nearly all the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. What an emotional roller coaster. Allow me to share some additional random musings on our show to perhaps keep in mind for your own possible rewatch. So he, you know, as is par for the course these days, he savages Code of Honor because you can't write about Star Trek without saying something bad about Code of Honor. Um, Although apparently. I watched it again the other day, and it's not as bad as we remember it. It's bad, but it's not as bad as no, we it's bad. Although the, the you know the main guest star was an anti-vaxer, and we can't have that. <laughs> so, no vaccine. <laughs> and no. Okay, but but he does say <laughs> to his credit, I was much happier to revisit our fifteenth episode of season one, one one zero 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 one zero zero one, in which the Enterprise is briefly hijacked. Is reactivated. Our people express their gratitude. We will return to your starbase for whatever punishment your system requires of us. Why didn't you just ask for our help? You might have said no. But there was a very good chance we would have said yes. Our need was too great to risk rejection. So you stole it. Their reason was part of the binary thinking. For them, there are only two choices, one or zero, yes or no. Why did you lure me to the holodeck and hold me there? Because we knew we might die, and we needed someone to restore our computer. And you did. No one has been hurt. You have achieved your objective. You have your planet back in order. We have our ship. Wow. 
been some time since I had the corner. But not to worry, number one, they're in good hands. Starbase 74. Whoop. Two. Engage. Uh, so I give him credit for singling that out because that is an episode whenever we talk about the, the gems in the first season that Those we always point to. Those were hilarious. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you might have said no. But, uh, but you know, then he goes on and talks about First Contact and what a wonderful script by uh, Ron and Brandon. The one uh-huh. that he tried to do, he tried that fired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... Um, there's none of that in this book, but I guess, like I said, I think I think he is trying to, um, you know, he's not trying to, you know, on he's his trying to record. etch the stone. He's trying to etch the stone. That's well put. That's well put. Um, other other favorite passages or things that you learned in this book that you thought were really interesting. You know, would you certainly would, would you recommend it to people uh, who are considering buying this for the holidays? Oh, I think any I think anyone who is a a, a fan of Patrick would be interested. I mean, there's a, there's all, this is not a next generation book. Right. No, it's not about Star Trek. It's, and that's, nor nor should it be, you know, just like Picard seasons one and two. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. (laughs) Boom. But I, I, I particularly enjoyed his stories about going through the various, uh, uh, you know, actors groups. And uh, and mm-hmm. and theaters uh, in his early yeah. days. That yeah, was more fascinating to me about the politics there and how he was able to sort of uh, become a, a a useful actor for these various groups. And that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the and the things that he learned. I mean, you know, about acting. I mean, it's really, yeah. you know, like Sir Patrick is brilliant. I <laughs> mean, you can't. I mean, he's so good. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to to hear how he came up and uh um and, and the things that he learned that that shaped him to the man he is today. It's yeah. I think it's yeah. a I think it's a great read for anyone who's a Patrick Stewart fan. I agree. And I I you know I, I learned some things that I thought were interesting that I did learn. Um I didn't realize that he had done a play with Malcolm McDowell as his understudy in the late sixties. And it's so interesting because it's the inverse of the famous Shatner story where Shatner was the understudy to Christopher Plummer. And the fact that Plummer and McDowell both went on to play nemesis, not nemesis, uh, to the, 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 I just found very, I found very interesting. I just, I thought it was this weird synchronicity. Um, And his love of uh, people like David Warner. Yeah. Um, and then getting to work with him, you know, yeah. these, you know, he connects all these dots in the book and it's, it's really fun because, wow. I mean, when he's talking about his early career, the level of actors that he worked with was just yes. mind boggling. And I have to say for the fans who are listening, who are very nervous when they go up to get an autograph and feel like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, I'm so nervous. What am I going to say? You know, I'm, I'm paralyzed. When you, we hear Patrick talk about how nervous he was to be around v- Vivian Lee yeah. or to be, uh, meet Kirk Douglas or when Paul yeah. Newman, uh, stopped by the dressing room, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and you hear how nervous he was about that. You know, you should understand, like from your perspective, everyone's been there. 
you know, yeah. and, and even, you know, the person you look up to who you worship, perhaps they too have idols that yeah. they are nervous to meet. And we saw it with the Franks and Mike Tyson. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the Vivian Lee story is, is particularly uh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because she Which is and, nothing anybody said about Vivian Lee when she was alive. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, she had invited him specifically uh, to this screening of Gone with the Wind. And he sat next to her during the whole thing. And he, he kept looking at her reactions and everything. And uh, near the end of the movie, she she was feeling very emotional about her experience. And she had to go, and she was very uh, cordial and said, uh, uh, please stay, it's okay, I just ha- I, I have to go. And uh, she wrote him a note later, and it was very sweet and very uh, uh, telling about you know her as a person and uh, him as a fan. Well, she said it was very hard for her to look at so many people that she that had, had known and lost over the years. That are gone, yep. That yes. are gone, and that was... That was really a very powerful story. And I think those are the highlights of this book. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Much more than the Star Trek stuff. That and the time that he says, uh, oh, you know, by the way, there were only three lights. (laughs) (laughs) One of the lights was out. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny um, because he also became, he doesn't talk about this in the book, a very successful voiceover, go-to guy for voiceovers. You heard him doing a lot of commercials, a lot of stuff. But... We were watching at home, we were watching this documentary, MGM, When the Lion Lion Roars, about Mm -hmm. uh, the history of MGM. There are numerous opinions as to what brought about the end of Louis B. Mayer's dream factory. Some believe the dream ended when Irving Falberg died. Others think it was the firing of the studio's patriarch, Mr. Mayer. Many are convinced it was Dory Sherry and his message pictures. And there are those who believe it was the end of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's phenomenal star system. And it was produced in the 90s. It's low def. It's on DVD. And Patrick is the host. And it was probably the heyday of Next Gen. And oh, my God, he is so over-the-top hysterical. I mean, not intentionally. So, Leo, he comes out and like, Leo P. Louis P. Mayer, the king of MGM. And he's just, just like, and he's like walking around and they have him on these sets high up. And it's like, don't fall, Patrick. And everything is just overdone and, and, and hyperbolic. And it's hysterical. Is he ever in Top Hat and Tails in it? He is. More uh, stars than there are in heaven. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's the best. It's the best. I, I loved it so much. That's why. Cool. Uh, <laughs> if only to watch Patrick. No, and it's, but, uh, but it's great. But yeah, this is great. And so you guys would recommend the, the audio book then? I, I, I totally. wrote the book. Totally. Okay. I mean, oh, yeah, it's, but at 1.5 speed. Well, that, that's interesting because. You know, he does, it is disappointing to hear that his core is not there anymore, that his, his voice is, is very thin. It, it's, he sounds, he sounds older than he actually is. Uh, yeah, and, and that does. his, his reading of it, uh, uh, sort of puts a focus on that that is a little disappointing to listen to. Uh, but you know, it, it's still, it's still him, you know, giving it his all. And uh, it, it's certainly entertaining to listen to. And he calls it out in the book. Yeah. That, you know, about his voice. Yeah. 
uh, and the fact that uh, you know he's lost a step because of his age, but uh, yeah. but it's still you know it's it's you, you know you could listen to him read the phone book, so I or mean, his own book, or his own book. <laughs> <laughs> you know whose voice I cannot believe it sounds pretty much the same. Mick Jagger, Stephen Mock. No, oh, Mick, Mick Jagger. Have you heard the new Rolling Stones album? He's 80 years old. It's it's insane. Well, but it's but insane. it shows you what a horrible condition his voice was back in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they're going on tour yeah. again. It's unbelievable. And I mean, he's just I mean, Mick Jagger was just on Saturday Live this week and right. it's just amazing. Well, the wheelchair rental for these cities are going to be huge. <laughs> That's right. And those little scooters. <laughs> Well, we should all be lucky enough. Mick Jagger, Mark, that would be crazy. We should all be lucky enough to be Bill Shatner. That's all I have to say. Well, Shatner is uh, in a in a class by himself. He's he's ninety three years old and unfreaking believable. I think he could still take defeat the Hawkins. (laughs) (laughs) The Hawkins are a little bit of a pushover, but uh, yeah, Yeah, okay, Hawkin Hogan. Yeah, yeah, Hawkin Hogan. Oh yeah. my well, gosh. Well, this was delightful. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad we had uh, Dave here. I want to ask you guys before we go, just uh, if you have a favorite Patrick Stewart uh, either movie or episode or moment, um, you know, just, just classic Patrick. Um, Ashley? Oh, man. If you say the inner light, I'm going to take that flute and bang it over your head. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say the inner light. Because I actually could be, we discussed this. It's like, I like it. It's fine. It's a little bit annoying. Um, you know what? Here, I'm going to, I'm going to call out uh, a, a recent great moment. Um, I believe it was the, the end of the, the second episode of the third season of Picard when uh, Picard gets his groove back, mm-hmm. you know, you know, belay that order, Admiral's order. And it just, that whole moment was just suddenly he's Captain Picard again. And it was just a great little transformation that like activated, you know, every part of my little fanboy body. When Stuart got his groove back. That's oh, right. Maybe we should call the episode that. Um, <laughs> what, what about you, Darren? Um, I have to say that uh, during his uh, time when he hosted Saturday Night Live and uh, he was in the skit about the erotic cake shop. How many of you saw Saturday Night Live? Uh, <laughs> You will remember, and I will just explain to those who did not see it, that the principal sketch in the middle of that Saturday Night Live was a sketch entitled Star Trek The Next Generation The Love Boat. (laughs) And what the writers did brilliantly was to combine the two series into one. And uh, almost the funniest part of all of that were the titles, because as well as having, well, I'll come to that in a moment. But you know how the love boat types used to go up with the, you know, all the different members of the crew? Yeah. Well, that's how they presented the members of the Enterprise crew in the same way. So I had a white sailing cap and a, a kind of Star Trek sailor's outfit and, and I'm in. <laughs> However, this is a very rare moment because when that Saturday night was over, the production team presented me with the model of the Enterprise slash Love Boat that they had, that they had used 
um, in the production because instead of the enterprise going back, instead we had an enterprise love boat. It's here with us now, it's on the stage with me, and I am right away going to auction this for comic relief. <laughs> um, it's absolutely hilarious. Oh, and of course, I'm there's not. a car backing out outside my window. Um, but uh, it, it was it was absolutely hilarious. And he he plays the naughty little boy so very well. Um, yes. And uh, uh, it, it's just wonderful. You know, between that and uh, his little uh, guest on uh, extras. Oh, you uh, took my... I was going to oh, say that. sorry. I, you know, I, was, I, I thought I'd pull a mark and do, you know, two examples when uh -huh. I only wanted one. But Yeah, you uh, need four or five more, too. Yeah, right. Well, but really, you truly. need to explain because you can't no, just you, say... No, you, oh, you can explain. So Patrick you was a guest it. on Ricky Gervais's extras, playing himself. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. Star Trek actor playing himself. And, um, and, and, and he's pitching this idea... <laughs> Whenever he looks at a woman, her clothes fall off. And he's like, and you can see everything. <laughs> and, and it's just, Patrick is so funny. The character I am, Professor Charles Xavier, mm. if you remember, he can control things with the power of his mind, can yeah. make people do things and see things. So I thought, what if you can do that for real? I mean, not in a comic book world, but in the real world. All right. So in my film, I play a man who controls the world with his mind. Right. Yeah, for instance, um, I'm walking along and um, I see this beautiful girl and I think I'd like to see her naked and so all her clothes fall off. All her clothes fall off? Mm, yes, and she's scrabbling around to get them back on again, but even before she can get her knickers on, I've seen everything. You know, I've seen it all. Okay. It's a comedy, is it? No. I think that episode led... To Seth MacFarlane developing a whole show, Blunt Talk, for him many years later, which is not nearly as funny no. as that one episode of Extras. Yeah. Patrick is so funny and self-deprecating it, and it's just terrific. And the fact that he plays it straight, that he yeah. plays yes. it like, you know, this is a real idea. No, yeah. no, no yeah, yeah, yeah. this is an idea yeah. I have. You know, it's not, yeah. this isn't a joke. I'm not joking. I, I, I have these powers, and uh, the, the clothes just fall completely off. <laughs> He's pitching the movie Zapped, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nobody can you? replace Scott Bayo, my man. Nobody can replace Scott Bayo. What about what about you, Dave? What's your favorite Patrick moment, or one of them? Well, I love his performance in Measure of a Man. Yep, mm. I, I that's that's one of my favorites, and also I, I I really love him in the episode The Defector. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when he, you know, faces off against the Admiral Giroc and, you know, tells him, I'm, I'm sorry if the taste of this isn't palatable to you. And, you know, but you've crossed over, sir. You, you know, <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that. It doesn't that open with King Lear where he's doing King Lear on the holodeck? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are two of my favorite uh, Patrick performances. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, this was a great episode. Dave, I'm so glad to have you back. It's been too long. It's good to have you back here on the Trexperts. Thanks, guys. Um, Always so much fun. And we'll have to have you uh, have you back. Of course, if you're a fan of the Trexperts, you want to rate us five stars wherever you listen or and and follow us on social at Inglorious Trek, Inglorious Trexperts, wherever you are social. And being a Star Trek fan, you may not be very social, but that said... <laughs> 
if you are, please do. Uh, please go and say nice things about us, even though I made that insulting comment. And uh, <laughs> you can subscribe uh, uh, to uh, Deck Seventy Eight at TrexpertsPlus.com and uh, listen to our bonus podcast on Deck Seventy Eight uh, every other week. So we hope you'll do that as well. And uh, that's really about it. Big thanks to Peter Holmstrom and the great Mark Rivera for making us sound oh so good. And we'll be back next Thursday with an all new episode of uh, Inglorious Trexperts. Until then, on behalf of guest Dave Rossi, host Ash Edward Miller, Darren R. Doctorman, and myself, Mark A. Altman, we're getting ready for the holiday special. So we hope you are too. And we'll see you soon. So keep on trekking, Ingloriously, of course. And you from crayons to perfume